Digital Hospitality. I am your host, Sean Walcheff. This is a Cali BBQ Media production. And every single week, we are trying to bring you in the inner circle inside the game within the game. There is an offline business world that happens, and there is an online business world that happens. And digital hospitality is the convergence of both of those worlds. As we know, during the coronavirus, a lot of businesses have been shut down and have been forced to do online sales only. Uh, what we talk about every week and the people we bring onto the podcast, we these are the thought leaders. These are the people that we admire in the space, whether they're in digital marketing, digital media, whether they run a business, whether they've scaled a business, written a book. Um, we want to give you guys the best of the best so that you understand that all the answers to all those questions of how do I start creating content? How do I start doing better on social media? How do I start improving my website, you realize that the answer is right in your pocket. And then that's, that's your, that's your smartphone. Um, that smartphone can open up doors that you never would have thought possible. Um, that's what's, that's what it's done for me in the last 12 years. Um, that is why we have our guest today, Bruce Irving, um, from the Irving media group, uh, on the podcast. He's a marketing strategist, speaker, and founder of Irving media group, LLC. He hosts two podcasts, smart pizza marketing and local business podcast. And he's also been in the pizza business for 20 years. So he uh, he knows the blood, sweat and tears that we're talking about on an offline model. Now his business is online. And um, now you, you talk to other thought leaders and you do pretty much the same thing that we do. But I'm super excited to have you on the podcast, Bruce. Welcome to the show. Sean, thank you so much for having me. I am super excited to be here with you and your audience today. Well, thank you. I, um, you know, I respect the hell out of anybody that's in the long-term podcasting game. Um, I, I akin podcasting to barbecue. It's one of those low and slow crafts that <laughs> you, it certainly takes a long time to start building an audience, um, to start understanding what what we're doing. And it, it certainly was the case for us. And you know, I've listened to both Smart Pizza Marketing and your local business podcast, and you know, I'm so impressed with the level of talent that you recruit to your show. So it's one thing to recruit a great guest. It's another thing to follow through with great questions. Um, I think from the outside, that must be a testament to who you are as a businessman, who you are as a leader. And uh, I'm just really excited to have you on the show today, man. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate that. And thank you so much for the kind words. And I think like podcasting, you get better at it over time, right? Like in the beginning, when you start your podcast, there's going to be nobody listening. And that's a perfect time to hone your craft and really try to figure out the minutia of asking questions. So I think that, you know, it may seem like I know what questions to ask now, but it certainly wasn't the case in the beginning. Uh, and I think I got better at that over time. Like, you know, you know, like when you do a podcast in the beginning, you're so worried about asking the right questions that you forget to listen. Yes. And I think I've gotten better. The podcast has gotten me better at listening to people, what they're actually saying, not just hearing what they're saying, but actually listening to what they're saying and then starting conversation from there. Yeah, I think for me, one of the things that's always attracted me to podcasting is that it allows people that might not typically be on a microphone to have a conversation with each other in a way that you have two CEOs that are talking to each other and you're essentially getting a seat at the table. You're yeah. getting you're getting into meetings that you would never get into unless they decided to record it and broadcast it as a podcast. So um, for me, it's been eye-opening, you know, being able to get the guests that I've been able to get on, but also the the learning that I've been able to do and also pass on to the listeners. Um, because running a small business 
this is not easy. You yeah. know, there's there's no as confident as I am right now during coronavirus, we're going to be expanding. We're going to be opening up more units in the next two years. I've never thought about that. I've never talked about it. I've never actively pursued it. I know in my heart that it's going to work because of what we've learned in 12 years. And those 12 years being in a shit location in San Diego where everyone said we wouldn't make it, we learned that Facebook was important and Yelp was important and Google was important and our website was important and all these other things that now a lot of businesses are looking and they're like, okay, well, if I'm only delivery and I'm only for takeout, what does my website look like? Is it mobile friendly? Is it easy to order? Do I have photos of my menu items? Um, one of the things I love about what you do is you're doing the recipe of audio content, video content, and written content. Um, talk to me about, bring me back to the pizza business and why you started the podcast. Great question. So I started the podcast. I grew up in the pizza industry. Um, wasn't a smart kid growing up. The school wasn't my thing. I literally just wanted to go to school and get out. So the, I was drawn to uh, get a job and make money. And I was interested in pizza making uh, in the restaurant industry. So I got I got a job. My first job was at Pizzeria Regina. It's not my first job, but my first job in the pizza industry was at Pizzeria Regina, which is a pretty popular pizzeria franchise model here in the Boston area. And I started working there, worked there for a few years, learned how to make pizza, I really enjoyed it. And then I moved and I met my future partner, brother-in-law at his location. And we worked together. I grew up in that business. He taught me a lot, he mentored me a lot. We partnered in that business. We opened another location. And both of us were on the same page when it comes to, we weren't college educated. We were very much in the business educated. and. After a few years of trying to grow and trying to manage employees and trying to build the team and trying to figure out marketing, and uh, we were pretty successful. If you look at it from the outside looking in, like we were really busy. We had two locations, but we didn't know what we were doing. What kind of sales? Um, so I was looking what, at what kind of sales we're doing. What are we talking about? So we had two locations and one location was really good. It was doing about a, a million and a half a year in sales with no alcohol and only had 12 seats. So we were a heavy delivery takeout model. What was, this the, was, what was the percentage of takeout? Uh, 80%. 80%, okay. Yeah, 80%. We only had 12 seats and no you one came to sit with us. You did your own takeout or did you have a third party? Our own. So a third party at this time wasn't as popular yep. as it is now. Okay. Uh, and even when third party first came out, we didn't utilize it. We, had, we would have 15 to 18 delivery drivers on a Friday night. Wow. Um, so we were cranking and we didn't wow. need third party. We would just have our own delivery drivers with our own system in place. We, we started online ordering in the year 2000. So really when online ordering was very- You were an e-commerce uh, company when it was cool. <laughs> yeah, like before, when, when everybody told us you're stupid, no one's gonna pay with credit cards and no one's gonna order online. We were like, you know what, let's see. Let's see who's stupid. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, so we started really early with that and we were doing online ordering and it, we, we realized that, listen, online ordering is easy because there, there's less people walking into the restaurant ordering, taking up our time. There's less people on the phone having to rush them off. If we can just push everybody to the website and they can order themselves, the average ticket's higher and they get to order whatever they want. And we free up time in the restaurant to really work on what we need to work on while the people are here. And, so it's, we were, and it's the best up sales you can do. Yeah. Average ticket was much higher. Yeah. So after going through years of that, I loved audio. I'm not a huge reader uh, and I didn't have time to watch videos. So I was always into podcasting and I said, you know what? There's a lot of podcasts out there of people talking to other people. I wonder if I could start a podcast for the pizza industry. And at the time I wasn't really like, oh, I hope I get a lot of people to listen. At the time it was just like, if I start a podcast, I can ask 
random people that I want to talk to in the pizza industry to come on my podcast and I can pick their brain and I can ask them how they went to 10 locations. How do they build their team that they have? How do they get to speak at the pizza expo? Um, and it, that's how the podcast started back in 2015. That's where it all began. Wow. And then so bring us. So when you started the podcast, when did you eventually get out of the business and go full into media business consulting strategy? I would say I was doing the podcast for two years mm-hmm. while working in the restaurants. And we ended we ended up selling the lesser busy restaurant. And then we went back to just having one. And we would always get asked by people, how were we doing marketing? We were heavy into direct mail back in the, you know, when we were really marketing because that's just how you did it. Yeah. And postcards and follow up. And then we got into email marketing and then we got up to loyalty marketing. And our family and friends would ask us how we do it and we would share. And then I'd start sharing that on the podcast. And then people would ask us from the podcast if we would do it for them. And there became, after two years of doing the podcast, there became this point where people would ask me to advertise on the podcast. People would want to me to consult with them about marketing their restaurant, and then people would want me to do their marketing for them. So I saw this opportunity to take a path. Do I want to continue to do the path of growing the restaurant, mm-hmm. uh, or do I want to continue the path of this online marketing, which was fascinating to me? And after 25 years of having to be in the restaurant, you know, six, seven days a week and having my mind on that, it was really appealing to be able to kind of work from anywhere for once in my life um, and have a Friday night off. That was amazing to me. Um, So I took the path of the marketing and I really was like, all right, I'm going to back away from the restaurant. My brother-in-law still owns it. He still operates it. I'm going to go full digital and see where that that takes me. How was that conversation with your wife? your family? <laughs> My wife, I have the best wife in the world. She was a hundred percent behind me. Um, that's you awesome. hundred percent. There was no doubt. She knows me. And you yeah. know, I started working when I was 15 years old. We got, I, I got married to my wife when we were 22, 21, 22. And we had our kids when we were, you know, 23, 24 and 27. So I was young and she knew my mentality. Like I'm determined. If I say I'm doing something, I'm doing it. There's no doubt in her mind that it's going to happen. It may take longer than I say it's going to take, but there's no doubt what the end outcome is going to be. So when I said to her, Hey, I'm going to do this podcast. I'm going to build this company. Don't worry. In this amount of time, we will be able to supplement what we were making in the restaurant. She knew I would do it. It was just a matter of time of when it would be done. So she, I had her hundred percent backing. That's, it's really fascinating to hear your story, especially in the early days, you know, having, what was it, 16 delivery drivers? Yeah, we'd have anywhere from 14 to 18 delivery drivers on a Friday, depending on the season. Because you're in the same Facebook marketing groups. I'm a part of your Facebook marketing group, which is phenomenal. I think that people need to, we'll put a link in the show notes to make sure people get involved in that. But also Eric Cacciatore, who actually originally linked us up, Restaurant yeah. Stoppable podcast, phenomenal podcast. Um but I, I'm seeing these discussions amongst restaurant owners about they don't want to pay the third party commission fees to Uber Eats or DoorDash or Grubhub because they're anywhere between 20 and 30 percent. So they're trying to do what you have already figured out in the pizza business, which was how do I employ somebody? How do I get a fleet of cars? How do I deal with insurance? How do I deal with logistics? What is your advice to somebody that's trying to go down that path in this in this current environment? You know, it was a much different environment when I was doing it. So I have to put that out there first that, you know, when I was, when we did have 15 to 18 delivery drives on a Friday night, there wasn't really Uber Eats. There wasn't, there wasn't 
Yeah. yeah, there wasn't that third party was just starting to get around towards the end of it. But it wasn't like it is today where people have options as a delivery driver. Like, do I want to go work for Uber Eats or do I want to work for this one location? And I would say what separates the people who get to do what we did and have their own delivery drivers versus having to utilize third party is how you treat your delivery drivers and how you manage them. What's appealing to drivers as uh, a delivery driver using or being part of these third party is the freedom to kind of come and go as you please yes. and to kind of turn your income on and off as you would like it to be and then not having the hard schedule of having to be here for eight hours a day and doing dishes and all that. So I would my advice would be to emulate what they do in your own business. If you can emulate what third party uh, companies do for these delivery drivers in your own business, you're going to have a much easier time convincing people to work for you versus work for them because you probably are more consistent and you probably have a, a good layout of the land in that area of business that's going to come in and you can really say, okay, this is how much money you're going to make. I can give you consistent work. Um, but you have to do these couple things. And I think the mistake people make is like they, they, they treat their delivery drivers like it's 1999 yeah. instead of it's 2020. Yeah. I think that is reflective also with staff. Um, you know, staff in a full service restaurant, you know, you treating staff and taking care of who they are and what they want is so important. And understanding that flexibility matters to most people that are working in the hospitality industry. And exactly one of the benefits of working in the hospitality industry is that you can work when everyone plays or you can work when everyone goes to work. But you're going to make the most money when you're working right. when everybody plays. Um, I'm, I find it fascinating that you actually took that leap. So that, that business leap, did your brother continue to run the business? Yeah, he still owns it. He still owns it. Okay. So you, he, he bought you out. Yeah. He bought you out and then now you're doing full time. Now you, this is your, Oh shit moment. Is this going to work? Yeah. When, when did you figure out this is actually going to work? Um, I knew it was going to work. It was just a matter of time. Like I'm, I'm an entrepreneur at heart. Like I not worried about making money. Like that doesn't, I know that I could sell things or I could go work for somebody. In the back of my mind, I know how to operate a pizzeria. Even if my brother-in-law said, you know what? You can't come back here. You can't work for me. You know, you blew it. We're done. I know for a fact I can walk into any pizzeria and immediately, not immediately, but I could probably immediately fix their restaurant if they're having a hard time operating because I'm an operator. I think yeah. people make the mistake of thinking me as a marketer who worked in a pizzeria. I'm an owner operator who happens to talk about marketing on a podcast. So I can walk into a pizzeria, see what they're doing wrong, fix it immediately, and then use my marketing knowledge to raise sales over the next six to 12 months, 25% if they're willing to put in the work. So I knew in the back of my mind, worst case scenario, I do that. I think that's probably one of the things that excited me most about podcasting was knowing the universal language of business and knowing that the things that I was talking about, about whether you had a full service restaurant or whether you had a bar component or not, at the end of the day, we're in a tough part of town that um, has allowed us to get a great deal on real estate, but it's also a town, a part of the town where most people don't make it. Right. They don't make it and they don't stay in business. So if we're, we're able to do that and succeed, um, 
other people that listen to the podcast, no matter where they were in the world, just like you said, I could walk into any pizzeria. I mean, that that's pretty powerful because there's not just pizzerias here in the United States. They're all over the world and they yeah. have access to content. They have access to listening to a podcast, listening to YouTube, reading a blog. And these resources, it's incredible when you start to understand the volume of business, the pizza industry. I mean, how much money are we talking? Do you have any idea off the top of your head? I uh, think it's like, a, I think it's a, a, a billions, seven billion. to $10 billion a year in, in revenue. Exactly. So when you're talking about dominoes, I don't think people understand the amount of sales that dominoes does. Yeah. And the fact that Domino's are a global brand. I mean, it's a global brand that you can find pretty much in every country in the world. Yep. Um, what, what, when you're working with individual operators, owners, what is, what are the trends? What are the typical things that you find when you have that conversation, when they're saying, I need help with marketing or I need help with social, um, what, what are the trends? You know, the pizza industry, we're we're pretty far behind when it comes to marketing. You know, there's a lot of people who still, believe it or not, in 2020 don't have a great website or don't have online ordering or haven't never posted to Instagram. And I always walk in there and I'm like, what are you doing? Like, what what's <laughs> taking you so long to yeah. post something to Instagram? Um, and the coronavirus thing that we're going through right now has really dramatically increased the need for you to get your message out there. And you see the legacy businesses, a lot of these businesses, not the ones that we've talked to or consulted with, but a lot of them they look up to, these legacy restaurants that have been around for 20, 30, 40 years are hurting now because yeah. they they have been coasting on their legacy for the last 20 or 30 years. And what the coronavirus did was it realized that, all right, your legacy means nothing if you don't have a way for people to communicate with you if they can't leave their house. Yes. And that's the number one thing I see people make a mistake with is they coast on their legacy. They've been busy forever and they just assume that that's the way it's going to be forever. So they don't need to uh, have a great website or have a good digital presence or uh, collect email addresses or have online ordering. And I think if you want to be around for the future, you need to seriously look at that. And even if you're busy right now, it's like those peaks and valleys, right? When you're in the restaurant industry and you have, uh, especially this happened to us a lot, and it exactly correlates to marketing and hiring. You have too many employees. So what do you do? You stop looking and then you have not enough. So what do you yeah. do? You send out ads and you start looking and then you hire more people. And then you, it's like peaks and valleys rather than always be on the lookout for good people. If you're always on the lookout for good people and you're always hiring and you're always having conversations about hiring, you never have that valley because you always have a steady flow of people you've talked to. So if one leaves, one comes in. Same thing with marketing. If you always have a consistent message going out there and you're always consistently showing up in people's inbox, on their phones, tablets, computers, whatever it is, you're never going to have that oh shit moment where nobody can come into your restaurant because of the coronavirus and you have no way to communicate with them. Yeah. That's very powerful. Uh, we fixed our hiring. We had a huge high, high turnover rate, you know, probably the first five, six years we were in business. And then once we started focusing on culture, started focusing on, you know, 
actually coming up with a hiring system. How is yeah. it going to work? How are we going to do our open interviews? What questionnaire are they going to fill out when they first come in? Uh, who's going to interview them the first time, which was me and one of my hiring managers. The follow-up interview, if they got called back, would be with the general manager, and then it would be with the team. Like Once we figured that part out, but then did what you said, which is we're always hiring. Every single month, we're going to do an open interview so that yep. we know that we're never going to we're always looking to add talent to our team. And that's the greatest thing about hospitality is you can get, I mean, people, they need cash and they need money. And the, the easiest way for them to get that is in the hospitality space. So when you can get very talented people, even if it's for a limited amount of time, right. Um, and maybe they decide that that's something that they want to do. And as you open up more units, then maybe they actually can grow with you. Yeah. And I'm by no means an expert at hiring or training. So take that with a grain of salt. Like I was shitty at it. I'll tell you that right now. I, I, I appreciate your honesty. Yeah. So don't ask me if anybody emails me for hiring and training advice, I'm going to send them to Donald Burns because I don't know how to do that. Well, well, that's that's also another power of once you start having the conversations that you've been having on your podcast is you develop a network of people that you can refer people to when right. somebody does say hiring, when somebody some does say construction or someone does say, you know, real estate acquisition, you know, people now that have done it successfully in different markets that you can refer people to. Yeah. Uh, which, which is which is powerful. Very powerful. If I was a local business, I would owner, I would start a podcast right now. Yes. And even if I didn't expect anybody to ever listen to it, the amount of people I've met and networked with and looked that I looked up to as a business owner now that I call friends is amazing. And that opportunity came because of doing a podcast. So if I was a local business owner, I would make a list of 25 to 50 people I would love to talk to for 25 or 30 minutes. And I would start a podcast and I would immediately reach out to them and ask them to be on my podcast. And even if nobody ever listened to your podcast audience wise, the amount of people that you can network with and meet and talk to and grow your network is going to be unbelievably helpful moving forward. Yeah, I was uh, before we got on the call today, before we started recording, I was talking to Stover, my producer, and he was telling me that back when he was a newspaper editor a long time ago at a small, small local newspaper, um, every lunch break, he would go to a local pizzeria. And at that local pizzeria, he'd wait for, you know, his pizza or his pie, a slice. And there was one magazine that was always there. And it was a pizza marketing magazine. Yeah, PMQ, and, probably PMQ or Pizza Today magazine. Those are the two. Probably what it was. And it blew him his mind away, you know, 10 years ago to think how niche of an industry that somebody can produce content for, for this pizza business. And now we're producing content for barbecue, we're producing media. Yeah. Like it's that, oh shit, aha moment, which is what we talk about every week, no matter what business you're in. And this, this includes nonprofit businesses, businesses that want to raise money. If you want to raise money or you have a cause and you're not creating content, you're not distributing it on social media, you don't have, you know, donate here on your website and it's easy to do it and it's easy to share. Like those are all going to be issues for you to raise the amount of money that you want to raise for whatever your charity is or your cause. Yep. I know a gentleman speaking of niche podcast. So we interviewed Roger Wakefield, who's a plumber. Now plumbing, you wouldn't think would be a great podcast or YouTube channel. Uh, but Roger two years ago started 
producing YouTube videos about plumbing. And he has 50,000 subscribers now on YouTube. Amazing. He's growing his network and it does a couple things for his business. It gets him business because he's seen as the expert in his area for plumbing and it's built his network. So he knows a tremendous amount of people in the plumbing industry and people want to work for Roger because they see him as this authority lead figure in his industry. So hiring for him has become so much easier now because people know who he is versus before he started his YouTube channel. And all he does is talk about fixing toilets and sinks and shows people how to do it. It's amazing. And I think that it's so powerful. And that's the thing that, that that's the thing I talk about to people that I know and I love and I respect close in my life that are very successful in very high powered jobs. Those jobs traditionally, they don't do media the way that you and I are creating media content. Right. But that doesn't mean that somebody else isn't going to do it. That means that a law firm isn't going to start to understand that, you know, the next wave of clients, the next generation of clients, they're going to care more about my digital footprint than my, that I'm a named partner in a law firm on a big, sexy building downtown. Right. And, you know, a lot of people are probably listening to this, but like, oh, it's too late for me. When I started my podcast, pizza, the pizza, uh, smart pizza marketing podcast in 2015, I thought I was late to the game. <laughs> you know, that's five years ago now. I thought like, I'm so late to this podcasting thing. I should have started this podcast in 2012 when I bought the domain pizza podcast in 2012. I bought that yeah. one. Um, and then I, did, I didn't produce a first podcast till 2015. I thought I was late. Five years later, I realized how early I was and how early it still is. So it's you can still so, get into it. Yeah, it's so early. And I think that's, that's a very powerful message because getting in early and whatever your niche is and your niche might change just by the the actual process of producing the content or posting on social allows you to be a practitioner of each of those different platforms and understand the analytics behind what works, taking a photo, learning how to take a better photo with your iPhone, right. learning how to take a, a 60 second video, learning how to look into the camera, not look into the camera, not, you know, bring other people from your staff on to share your message because that's the competitive advantage that a small business can have against the industry titans, these legacy businesses that you talk about because they're not built for that. Right. They're built on layers and layers of systems and processes that was for old media. That yeah. was radio. That was for newspaper. That was for billboards. That was for direct mail. That was for TV commercials. And we all know that that stuff is overpriced. I mean, we all know, meaning the people that I, I talk to and admire, we all know that that's overpriced. Yeah. Because we're able to create that content ourselves. Yeah. And, you, you know, it's going to take you a little bit of time, right? It doesn't happen overnight. Just like opening up a business. I mean, there are those few people who get lucky and they open a business right up and they're busy right off the bat. But for most of us, like us, like me, we had to grind that shit out, man. It was a it was a grind for years before we really got busy. Like we were doing no sales, been in the shop, being there forever. And if you start any social media presence or podcast or YouTube channel, it's the same thing. It's a grind. You're not going to see any results from that thing for six to 12 months if you're lucky. Um, but if you're consistent with it over time, that's when the results start to show up. And, but a lot of people, even if your niche is crowded, a lot of people are not going to put in that time. They're going to you know, put in a month or two and, real, and say, eh, this, this doesn't work. I'm not doing this and give up. But if you stick with it, it'll work for you. You just have to give it some time. 
Yeah, I think um, I'd love for you to talk about the power of email marketing when it comes to caring about your website. I mean, I, I know how much you care about email. I've subscribed to your emails. I've heard your local, your, your podcast pitching your new plan for your email. I'd love for you to let our listeners know why you care so much about doing that and how much, and how much work it is. Yeah. So I'm, we revamped our whole email and you know, I probably five years ago when we started this podcast, we were always heavy email marketers, even in when I, when I operated the business, like we always emailed people would order online from us. We would have a whole follow-up sequence of emails. And this was really pre-social media or when social media was really new. So not a lot of people were on there. So we always collected people's data. But then there became a time when Facebook and Instagram and Twitter were hot. And we were like, maybe email's not how people are going to communicate in the future. And in 2020, I realized after TikTok privacy concerns and Facebook uh, scandals with privacy, I realized that, you know what? Email is always going to be a way that people communicate. And I want to dominate my space with email. And I don't want to dominate it by being boring in the same crap you get in your email every day. I really want to stand out and I really want to make it where you can open your email from me, whatever day we send it out. And it's going to be either a straight message from me if you're just new to our world, or it's going to be the most valuable email you see all week. It's going to be all the information. Now, if you're a pizzeria restaurant owner, that's how our email is focused for. Um, It's going to be all the information you need. And I look at it from the perspective of if I was an owner, in operating right now, what information would I want to know about and or read once a week in the morning where I wouldn't have to go search around the internet for that? And that's what we've done with our email. That being said, if you're a local business, you can do the same thing. What if your email wasn't necessarily always about you or pushing your product? It was a curation of information that was happening in your community that just happened to be curated by you. Correct. I think that's a tremendous missing aspect of email for local businesses. A lot of emails that go out are, hey, we have this offer happening Thursday night from four to eight, or we have this event happening on Saturday, which is great. You always want to follow up with your customers and let them know what you're doing. But what if you created the community email and all of the things that were happening in your community were in that email? So if I lived in your community, and I opened your email once a week, I knew what I knew everything that was going on without having to leave that email. Yeah. And then on top of that, you can send out your other emails. Once they become a customer, you can do your follow up processes. But I think that's a very under underserved part of email marketing, especially as a local business. I think that's very powerful. And that's something that really what what we learned, you know, in our 12 year journey, we opened in 2008. So I always talk about the the iPhone, the original, the first iPhone didn't come out until June 29th. 2007. The only reason I know that date is my son was born 10 years later on June 2017. <laughs> I was in the hospital researching on Google, you know, what, what cool things happened, you know, on this date in history. And it was 10 years to the date. And I, I had never realized that we had opened our business really at the start of, you know, there were smartphones before that, but let's be honest, like it was, it was the iPhone that changed pretty much everything. Oh yeah. yeah like the Blackberry and the track phone, I think yeah, I had, correct. and those are crap. compared to what you have now. All crap. But it's also the advent of the app. You know, that was really where the app and these apps where it was mobile first, but it was an app and a social media app on top of that. And when you start to think about that, you know, that's how we started figuring out if we're going to get anybody to fucking come to Spring Valley, we've got to start claim a Facebook page. We've got to claim a Yelp page. But by doing that, 
we learned how to digitally market ourselves. We learned how to talk about our, our, what we were doing in the community for charity, what we were doing with our menu. If we had a new menu item, if we were hosting the local fight night, you know, whatever that was, we were able to do that in that process. We, as a small business in the community have always participated in community events. We were able to start doing exactly what you said, covering the local community event. Why? Because we were already there. We already had the cell phone in our pocket. We could start tweeting about it. We could start posting about it. We could start sharing it. We we could promote the event literally than the event, better than the event producers, even though we were just one part of that event. That helps you become that village voice. That helps you share. And that brings you more from marketing to media, which is you – have this skill set now that you can use in ways that most businesses don't use for themselves, let alone use for other businesses, use for their customers, use for local charity, use for their vendors. You start sharing the things that if it's relevant for us, trust me, it's relevant for the local school, yeah. you know, the local fire station. Like you keep it local. Talk about local search engine marketing and, and how somebody can do that better. Where to start? Huh. I think, you know, local, it's tricky, right? It changes on a daily basis. I think that uh, people search for different things. I think reviews are important, more important than people give them credit for. Uh, I know people hate Yelp in the restaurant industry, but I think that- They need to get over that. Yeah. (laughs) They definitely Uh, need to get over hating. Hating platforms, it's one of my, I'm fascinated with people's hate for a certain platform based off of personal experience. Yeah. Yelp is the perfect example because restaurateurs, they hate Yelp because of the negative review. Instead of embrace embrace the suck, just deal with it. Well, there's an article I just put out in our email, I think this week. Um, I'll send you the email so you can link it up for your audience. But it's uh, about a chef who actually asked all of his customers for one star reviews on Yelp as a like as a kind of F you to Yelp. And he actually got a ton of press and a ton of good exposure because he was like someone gave him a bad review. And instead of like you just being like ah, F Yelp, he was like, you yeah. know what? Just give me one star reviews. I don't care. Give me one star reviews on there. It was just funny the way he went about it. And uh, I, I agree. And that happens with marketing, too. Right. Like a lot of people yeah. are like, I don't use Facebook, so I'm, I'm not going to market on Facebook because I don't use it. And I think we take what our preference differences are and what we believe in and and think about everybody else as having the same beliefs or preferences that we do. And that's a huge mistake because there are a lot of people who make decision making processes by going to Google and looking at your reviews on Google and on Facebook and on Yelp. And they make a decision on whether or not to go to your restaurant based on what they see there. So if you want to alienate some of your potential customers, yeah, forget Yelp or forget Google or forget Facebook. But that's your choice to make. And don't complain when a lot of people who are taking advantage of those platforms are reaping the benefits because you don't want to. But when it comes to search, it's creating content, right? It's creating content on the different platforms. Like a lot of the websites, I'd say 90, maybe not that high, 85% of pizza websites are just complete horseshit. (laughs) I appreciate your honesty. You know, I would say that. (laughs) I would think if you looked up 80, if you go into your local town and search pizza in my town and look at their websites, I would, Diego, I'm going to do it. I'm I gonna. would say eight out of 10 of their websites are complete crap. Yeah. So just by having a good mobile friendly website, that's updated with your menu, with your location, with your phone number, with your hours, with a little bit of content, you are going to stand out from the pack just by doing that simple little bit. Right. And if you take advantage of Yelp and Facebook and Google and respond to those reviews that people are giving you good or bad, that's going to make you stand out even more. And by doing those two little things, 
you're going to be much better off than eight out of 10 pizzerias in your area. And you'll show up more on Google. It's crazy. It's crazy. And it's crazy to think that, like I said, back to the prejudices that we have, we're not looking and examining our own behavior, our own behavior in our families, what my wife does, what my kids will be doing. I mean, my kids are young. They're three and one. But even from my son watching a YouTube video, when he's watching a YouTube video, he knows where the button is to skip the ad because he doesn't want his content interrupted. (laughs) He's. Three. And he was doing that when he was like one and a half. Yeah. I mean, it tells you he knows how to swipe away a notification. He's on dad's phone and a Twitter notification comes, swipes it away. I'm watching Paw Patrol. Leave me alone. That's funny. Right. It, it's crazy to think, but it's also exciting to think. And I think, you know, that's what I always try to get back to, you know, every week on the podcast is that it's so powerful once you take a proactive approach yeah. to digital content creation and understanding that you can always hire somebody. You can always ask for help. The, the amount of resources for all the different platforms, always be weary of experts. Um, as you and I talked about on your podcast, which I was on, um, yeah. I, appreciate, I appreciate you having me on. But yeah. People that are experts in whatever their space, it's easy to verify if they're actually talking about talking true to what they're what they're talking about. Right. Yep. It's pretty easy to verify. If you do a little digital deep dive, you can find tools, tips, tricks to actually start doing the things that we're talking about. And once you do that, you realize like my daycare is the perfect example. I've shared this on the show. But what you were just talking about daycare. You wouldn't think that a daycare would need to have a mobile-friendly website. They're based off of families. The moms tell the other moms in the community. We moved to a new community. Where did we go? We went to the internet to find the best daycare for our for our son. The best daycare, the best curated SEO list came from Yelp. Two out of the 10 businesses actually had a Yelp profile set up with photos, with the correct information, with a link to book a tour, a mobile-friendly link, and the other eight some of the other eight were the ones that were recommended personally, but we didn't even go to see them. Yeah. Because their digital hospitality was shit. Yeah. They, they had a shitty experience, which led them to not be able to take care of our son. How do you 100%. think they run, how do you think they run their administration? How do you think they run their paperwork, their signups? I guarantee you it's not gonna be mobile first. It's not gonna be easy on me, the parent, to get me the information of what's happening with my son. Right. I know my kids, my daughters are a little bit older. So I have three daughters, 18, 17, and 13. And they won't make any decisions unless they can find some information online. Like they're not, they're not even going to, you don't even exist. If you're not on Instagram, TikTok, or have a website that they can go search on their phone, you have, you don't exist. They don't even know who you are. And that's not just because they live in my house. That's because they're 18, 17, and 13. And that's just how that age demographic lives their life. And I would even probably push that a little bit more up to like 25 years or younger, which is getting older, right? Like those people are really moving into the purchasing marketplace. And if anybody who's under the age of 25, that's how they live their life. They only know a digital life. They don't know anything else. They've only grown up in that era and they've been in it for so long. It's been half of their life now that that's all they know. So if you don't have a website, you don't have a Instagram account that's up to date. You don't, you're not maybe messing around with TikTok or you're on Twitter or Facebook. Like they don't even know who you are. Yep. So those 
older people who you may be trying to attract who are like in their 60s, they're going to die soon. Let's yeah. just be honest. Yeah. And they're moving out of the marketplace. And the people who you need to attract are the people who are 25 and under right now who are going to be your main purchasers for the next 10 to 15 to 20 years. And that's all they know. They only know digital. And that's not going away. Yeah, it's uh, it's very powerful once you start to understand that we're we're really we're really competing against the tech giants if you think about it yeah you know, we're compete we're competing against the amazons of the world the walmarts of the world the teslas the ubers of the world because they're figuring out how to get products and services to us in a way that doesn't discriminate time it's a completely digital experience that's delivered in a way that's where the that's where the competitive advantage is. It's that hospitality side because the bigger you are, the harder it is to give that personal automation. Yeah, uh, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about. I had the last podcast guest we had on was uh, Ravi, and he was talking about scaling with systems. And one of the things that I I realized was scaling with systems is I mean that that's tried and true business. We're talking about Ray Kroc building McDonald's, scaling with systems, right? You have to have standard operating procedures in order to scale. In order to scale. But scaling digitally has literally been happening, like we said, in the last 20 years, more specifically in the last 12, 12 years. How do you use automation in a way that is personal? Huh. Uh, me personally or you yeah, think you, local business? You both. You you personally and – well, I'm guessing the, you run your business the same way that I do. Is anything that you do, you're going to advise your clients as well. True. I try to make it as easy as possible for people to communicate with me and to have follow-up processes in that place. Let me give you my, our email example. So we have an email set up. Now, I always wanna be personal, and I always wanna be there for the people who listen to the podcast, whether it's a real message for me or it's a automated message. So somebody goes to our website, Smart Pizza Marketing. They sign up for our email newsletter. It immediately is triggered an automated message that says, now this may be something that you don't think is right because it kind of sounds like it's coming directly from me, but it kind of is coming directly from me. I wrote it the is, email. It is coming from you. That's why I want you to talk about it because I love it. So yeah. go ahead. It's go automated ahead. and it says, hey, it's Bruce. I'm sitting here at my computer and I got your email and I wanted to see how you found me on the internet. Did you find us from the podcast or from our Facebook page or where is it? Reply to this email goes directly to me. I'd love to hear back from you. And People reply to that email all the time, thinking yes. it really came from me. And yes. it goes right to my inbox personally, and I always reply to people who reply to that email. Uh, even though it is automated, but people like the personalization of an email that came, hey, I went to Bruce's website, I listened to his podcast, I can't believe he's emailing me right now, That's correct. I'm gonna email him back. And then when they do, I send a note back. And sometimes, you know, my note could be thanks, or it's not a long note because I get a lot of them, but I do reply to all of those people who come in. That's the exact magic that I'm talking about. That's that internet oh shit moment that you're able to create on a one-to-one -one basis that gives us such a competitive advantage over large businesses. Any business that's been around for a long time, there's so many systems that are in place that removes individual operators, people that are there on the local level that are able to make that digital engagement. It's just hard. Yeah. Logistically, it's just hard. And as you scale, but the fact that you do that, the fact that you give that one-on-one, -on -one, 
personalizes it and it gives it that hospitality. I, we use the example of the please seat yourself sign. You know, we talked about that. Please seat yourself in a restaurant. There's a reason they put that there and that's to save labor. Yeah. Because we don't want to pay for the host during the non-peak hours. But you can't be like that online either. You can't put a please seat yourself, go figure it out yourself because where's the consumer going to go digitally? They're fucking gone. Right. Fuck you. You're right. I got that you email. Want, from. You don't want my catering for my wedding? Fuck yeah. you. I'm out. <laughs> right. Exactly. They, you, uh, they only care about themselves. Yeah. That actually email came from when we were operating, when we first started online ordering. Um, we I set up an email auto response for people who ordered online from us. So they would go to our website and they would order an order online, whatever it was. The very next day, we had it set up in our point of sale system. They would get an email from me that said, hey, it's Bruce from XYZ Pizza. I saw you had an order last night. How was it? I wanted to know. Reply to this email goes directly to me. And the amount of emails that I got from customers who ordered the night before, so we would have anywhere from, and this was in the beginning, like 20 to 60 e online orders on an average day, depending on the day. So out of that 20 to 60, we'd get 20 to 60 emails that went out the next day. I would get an average of five to 10 email replies. 99% of them were like, you know what? That's awesome. Thanks for reaching out. Everything was great. But there was always that one that would have a problem. And yeah. what it did for us was it eliminated them having a problem, us not knowing about it, them yeah. going to Yelp or Google and leaving a bad review. 99.9% .9 of the time when someone had a problem and they received that email, they would email me back and be like, you know what? I wasn't going to say anything, but your driver forgot the soda or my salad didn't have the dressing on the side. And then I would be like, you know what? I'm so sorry. Here's a five or $10 credit on your next order. And I'll put it on your phone number because I have your all your information right here. And they would be like, that's amazing. Thank you so much for doing that. Yeah. And our our online reviews that were negative dramatically dropped from us doing that because we would just ask them, how was everything? Simple question and fix the problem when they had a problem. One of the things I did want to ask you back to your personalized email, your personalized automated email, which was you asked the question, how did you find us? Why is that an important question? Because I want to know what's working, right? Like I want to know what's working. I want to know what people are listening to or how what we're doing is working. Like we test a lot or by we, I mean me, I'm always a, a, a tinkerer and tester and trying out new platforms and um, seeing what works. So I want to know like what is working out there that we're spending our time on that we should be spending more time on. And that's why I consistently do the podcast because it's that answer to that email is consistently the podcast. I heard yeah. your episode on the podcast and uh, I wanted to sign up for your email and see what was happening. Or I have a question about marketing. I heard you on the podcast. I heard your, I listened to your podcast this morning with Sean and we, you guys talked about this and it intrigued me and I wanted to listen to it. So I always want to know where our listeners are coming from and really figure out what's working and then do more of that and do less of what's not. I think it's it's fascinating because it was something that early on, my general manager and myself, we made a conscious commitment to talk to our servers, our bartenders, and our hosts. Of That is the most important question that we ask our guests in their actual physical journey when they're coming yeah. into our restaurant is how did you find us? Because that allows us to understand what is working, you know, because sometimes they might have seen us do a catering at the, you know, the Chargers game and they had heard about us. They saw it. Maybe they tasted some barbecue. Now they came in. If they said that and the next 
you know, two new tables come in and they say the same thing. Guess what? We're going to be back there slanging more barbecue at the tailgate, which we did do um, on a consistent basis. Yeah. It's it's such a basic question that I think is probably often ignored in local small business. Yeah. You know what? Another example of that is so we do a live show on Facebook Uh, right now. I'm doing it when I don't know when this is coming out or when you're listening to this. But as of July 2020, every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, pretty much every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 10 a.m. Eastern time, I go live on Facebook for anywhere from 10 to 20 minutes talking about a subject, sharing some news or information or anything that's helpful. And I was doing a live show back in, I'd say 2016, 2017, we would do a Facebook live show. And after a year and a half of doing it consistently every single week, I kind of just stopped. I I got a little burnt out. Um, But I realized from that email, how many people followed us on that live show and actually found us on the Facebook live show that when we stopped, they were like, oh, I used to watch you on your Facebook live show and now it's gone. I'm like, damn, maybe we should keep that going because a lot of people, even though it didn't seem like at the time, because we talked to a lot of restaurant people, there wasn't like a thousand live people with us every time, but the replays would get a lot of views and a lot of people would go back and watch it later, even though they weren't watching it live, but that's how they discovered us. And me, being a dummy and not asking people in the beginning, <laughs> just stop doing the show. Yeah. And then I realized later that a lot of people discovered us. So I restarted it again. So like you said, asking people how they found you is a super important question because it may be a place where you're thinking about stop doing, like maybe there's an avenue of marketing that you're yeah. thinking about cutting out. And if you just ask people where they found you, you may be surprised at how many people are are using or finding you in that one thing that you're thinking about stopping doing. And maybe you should be doubling down and not cutting it out. Exactly. And maybe you should be thinking like, oh, this is working awesome and nobody's finding you there. And you're like, damn, I thought it was this, but it's actually this. Yeah. I think that's, you know, that's never been more relevant for us to strip down all of our costs, not just operational costs during COVID, but, you know, our, our digital costs, because as we've grown as a restaurant and as a brand, we've added all kinds of different third party apps, um, SaaS products that help us be a more efficient restaurant, recruit a better, we have hot schedules, we have weight trainer, we have Yelp, which you, it, it's no wait, now it's Yelp wait list. I mean, the amount of things, once I go through and started figuring out, wow, we're actually, you know, this is a lot of monthly fees that we're paying. Yeah. What are we getting, on, What are what's the return on those? Diving into the analytics, understanding that, yeah, well, maybe this one doesn't make sense anymore, um, you know, now that we've switched this over. And it, it's complicated. You right now there's a great arms race happening within each industry to figure out how to be the credit card processor, how yeah. to be the POS machine, how to be the CRM system. How do I, how do I capture that entire market? And it's, there's other companies that are coming on that are trying to win their own space. You know, so for us, back to what you said is it's so powerful that somebody orders online and you send them an auto generated email. That's something that our current system for somebody that's obsessed with digital hospitality as I am, I can't get that. I have Aloha, which is a legacy POS um, machine that we use. We have 411 Eats, which allows us to have a mobile first online ordering website, but it's not customizable the way I want. I can't upload the photos. I, you know, I can't upload the text. It's not like WordPress for us, yeah. which is frustration. And the further frustration is it doesn't have the CRM component. So the CRM component is where I can actually thank somebody and do exactly what you talked about doing, because I know how powerful that is. Yeah. A simple- you know what? 
You did. You know what? Yeah. Speaking of point of sale systems, you know what point of sale systems do wrong? Um, and they do a lot right. And but nobody's ever happy with their point of sale system. But the 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 thing I see point of sale systems do wrong is they don't have anybody work or or help come up with the system that actually worked in the restaurant. A lot of yeah. tech people, right? Yeah. I remember we worked with Food Tech Solutions is the point of sale system that we used, and it was really great. And but in in 2000 when we implemented it. It was a piece of shit and they thought it was the fucking best POS system ever. And they came in and installed it in us. And we, in 15 minutes, me and my brother-in-law were like, this, this computer system sucks. It doesn't do anything. And they're like, what are you talking about? And we're like, have you ever worked in a restaurant? Have you ever right. worked in a pizzeria? Like two seconds of putting this in a pizzeria and actually working it, you'd realize that this is all set right. up wrong. And then a year later, we helped them kind of adapt it to real life pizza kitchen and it ended up being an amazing system. But I think point of sale systems need to really have people before they go and spend millions of dollars developing their system, like have restaurant people go in there and like, or put it in a restaurant and be like, what are the things that you need? Because what they think is important and what we think is important is two different things. I, I completely agree with that. And the things, the best tech companies that we've worked with as we've grown have been the most responsive to our feedback because they're looking at it, not like fixing one barbecue restaurant in Spring Valley. They're looking at if this is a smart operator and they're asking for this, maybe we we can roll this out to all of the other full service barbecue restaurants because right. maybe it's applicable to them. And yeah. often, and oftentimes it is. Yeah. Like I can't code, but if right. you don't know that people ask for half pepperoni, you're a moron. What are you doing? <laughs> this is true. This is true. That's, that's for much smarter people than me. That's for sure. <laughs> um, I'd love to hear your, your opinion of what is going to be happening kind of during this digital revolution of what a pizzeria looks like. Um, what, ghost kitchens are going to be doing what pizza robots are going to be doing like Domino's. Give me, give me an idea. Look into the crystal ball for me. Tell me, uh, and pretend like we're not talking about COVID. The, the thing about COVID, and I think it's important that I reiterate it with people is the coronavirus COVID. It, it's not about the government. It's not about politics. Yeah. It, there's a digital revolution that's been happening and it's been happening for the last two decades. And until you wake up to that, the offline business has to come online. You have to get your business online. It has nothing to do with coronavirus. Coronavirus only sped up where we are today. Yeah, so, I 100% agree with you on that. So people need to really get their shit together and start focusing. If you want to build a sustainable bottle, you might have to do what no business owner wants to do. And that's burn the fucker down. Literally burn yeah. it down to 20% of your sales, to the core component of what you do best, and then build on top of it. If yeah. you're willing to do that, you'll be able to build a sustainable model into the future if you're doing it digitally. If you're understanding that you can no longer discriminate and say, you know, I love it when people come into our restaurant because then they talk, the server talks to them and they get their favorite table. Not every customer wants to come into the restaurant. That's 100%. Yeah. If I was to do open a restaurant today, I I'm fascinated by Amazon and not just because Amazon is like the, the biggest business there is right now, but because of the system that they have in place. Like, think about it. Think about your experience when you order something from Amazon. You're curious. 
right? Or you need something. So what do you do? You go to Amazon, you hit the search bar, you look for that product that you're looking for. You kind of read the reviews from other people who have purchased it. You make a decision, you add it to your cart, your card saved, you click the order button, make sure your address is correct. You click the submit button and it's there in a day or two. You know, I know the whole Corona thing made it a little bit longer, but for the most part, it's either there the next day or within two days. It shows up. It shows up on your door. The driver takes a photo of that order on your doorstep, sends you an email immediately. Your order has been delivered. There you go. If I was a, a restaurant owner today, I would emulate that model. But for whatever style of food I was serving, yeah. I would make my website easy to navigate. I would be I would make it a two button click system where you could order within two buttons. I would have a delivery model that was my own delivery drivers that I could have them go to the house, drop the food off at the door because Yes, it's Corona right now, but I don't think anybody's going to want to touch anybody in the near future. Right. And I would take a photo, send that photo through the email in which they order. So your order's here or text them. The order's here and then you have their information and then see you later. And that's it. And that's what I would do all day long. Yeah, I, 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 I couldn't agree more. And that's what gets me the most excited is finding other like-minded people, owners, operators, entrepreneurs, people that are willing to understand that that's where everything is. That's where all the opportunity is. Because yeah. as, as much as I love Amazon and you love Amazon, we know that the craft of making a pizza, the craft of making a slow smoke brisket, that's something Amazon can't do. Right. They can't do that. But we can do that on a local level in our individual markets, and we can do it at scale if we're able to produce enough volume of it. And then do exactly what they do is figure out the distribution. Yeah. And I know you have to think about the future, right? Like you said, think about the future. And I know restaurants are hurting right now. And, um, but why are they hurting? They're hurting because people can't go into them. And I, I would never ever want to create a business where if one thing happened and people couldn't visit me, my whole business would be gone. Yeah, I would want to make sure that regardless of what happens, as long as people are alive and they're eating, I can get them their food. And that's the only model that I would serve at and or invest in. That's what I would do, because I know my kids, as much as we love hospitality and we want to go into restaurants and hang people, that's kind of like what the older generation of folks do. I don't know if the younger generation of folks are going to be doing that as much. Now, I'm not saying that the younger generation of folks don't hang out together, but I don't know if they're going to have the need to go somewhere and hang out together versus going to the beach or going to someone's house or hanging out online together. That's, I mean, that that's the absolute truth. And like back to what we said, you, you just cannot discriminate how the customer wants to enjoy your product. Right. You know, you can't get nostalgic about it. You can't worry. Uh, well, this is how it's always been. How it's always been done is not happening anymore. <laughs> the sooner that we can face that and then move forward, the better off we're going to be in the long term. And that's the exciting part is like there's so much incredible opportunity right now for people that are listening to this podcast to connect with you, to start consuming your content. You have incredible people that come on your podcast every single week, both shows, even if you're not in pizza. This stuff is relevant. I mean, it's relevant to a barber. It's relevant to somebody that that is running the local high school. It's relevant to somebody that's running a charity. It's relevant to an attorney. It's relevant. And the sooner that people understand it's relevant, the more power that they're going to have because they're going to start understanding that it starts with them. It starts yeah. with them turning on that phone, going live, using those apps, taking photos, taking video, producing audio content, written content. It's a lot, right? It's a lot to do. 
But yeah. what what other option do we have? You don't have any. And I listen, you're already ahead of the game, right? You're listening to a podcast right now. And, you know, you can always tell people who listen to podcasts uh, and people who don't because they spell podcast as one word or two. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> right. <The> podcast. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. I like, like that. Pe- people always email. Hey, I'd love to be on your pod. Cast. I'm like, you don't even listen to podcasts. <laughs> That's good. I, I haven't heard that. I like that. Um, so, well, how, how, uh, what's the best, best way for people to find you and what's your uh, favorite social platform? Uh, Instagram. I'm the Bruce serving on Instagram and also Smart Pizza Marketing on Instagram. We have two accounts there. I'd say that right now, that's my favorite platform. Um, but you can go to thebruceirving.com. That's our website. Uh, all my information, contact, and that's where we can check out the local business podcast. That's awesome. And uh, I know you frequently make trips to San Diego. I didn't know you when you were here, but um, I know you speak at Social Media Marketing World. Um, I'm sure when events happen, whenever that is, if it's 2021 or 2022, whenever it is, I know San Diego isn't going anywhere. Um, I know events will happen in the future. For sure. Uh, but I'm, I'm very excited to meet you in person, um, talk more. And, you know, I really, I really appreciate what you're doing because, um, you know, you're, you're not only getting better at your craft, but you're sharing more of the things that you've learned along the way. And I know it's very, very impactful. Um, the amount of businesses, it's one of those things, you know, you and I, we don't, we don't always get the feedback, but when I do get the feedback, I know how many people do listen to this podcast and I'm grateful for that. Yeah. And I know people will listen to your podcast and, you know, maybe it's the next generation that's going to take over dad's pizza business. And the things that somebody says on that podcast are really going to help propel them to not only stay in business, but to become the next dominoes. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you having me on the show. I love San Diego, by the way. So, um, <laughs> And I, Boston's not a, not the best place in the world to live in six months out of the year. So maybe we'll have to make a few more trips to San Diego and come say hello in person. That sounds great. I appreciate it, Bruce. Um, thanks, thanks for, thanks for being on and be sure to subscribe to digital hospitality if you haven't already and, uh, be sure to hit Bruce up. 